It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. All right, welcome to Out of the Blue from Mason Brew on the SB Nation Podcast Network, the podcast that, much like a venereal disease, is the gift that keeps on giving. I am Jared Stormer of MasonBrew.com. With me, as always, is Andy Bailey, my hetero life mate. Andy, you triceratops without the horns. How the hell are you, sir? <laughs> I'm hornless and happy, my friend. Still reeling from the nice victory, feeling great. It's sad the bye weeks here, but also kind of glad so we can catch our breath. Yeah, yeah, I feel you. It, it's coming at a good time. I feel like we always say it's coming at a good time. Whenever it happens to show up, it's a good time for a bye. This one actually does make sense with the gauntlet we've got coming after that. Uh, but a good win against Maryland on that one. Before we get into that one, though, basketball starts tonight. And I don't want to get too much into it. You know how you and I are. You know, we're, we're football guys, but it does start tonight. and We should be excited about that. We should be excited, and deep down somewhere in you know the crevasses of my soul, I am excited. But it's hard to get it, you know get it out of me. But the start of the Juwan Howard era is something to be really excited for. I like Juwan Howard. I just like him as a dude. I liked him as a player. I like the professionalism that he brings. He says all the right stuff. Uh, the dance, the we're gonna shock the world as part of the Fab Five. I mean, I'm pulling for this dude. Would you rather drink a beer with Juwan Howard or John Beeline? Ooh. John Beeline. John Beeline still holds a special place in my heart. We'll see what Howard does. Talk to me in five years. 
That's fair. I think it might be Jawan for me just because of the stories of the Fab Five, the Miami-LeBron run, and now being at Michigan. I feel like he could go deep with some interesting things. While John Beeline, you know, well, I went to bed at 9.30 and called it a night. And the next morning, you know, won the game. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But I would still be starstruck at every word that he said about him drinking Metamucil at 7.15 and Matlock at 7.30 bedtime by 8.15. But that's a fair. It's like it's like your grandfather talking about World War Two, but during World War Two, he like worked in Vermont. Right. <laughs> whatever he does, it's the regiment of champions, so he can do whatever the hell he wants. Uh, and he's got Cleveland playing better than they should be, full of a trash lineup. But yeah, let us never besmirch the good name of John Beeline. But uh, as we record this right now, Michigan is up twenty points against App State. Starters tonight were Xavier Simpson, Eli Brooks, Adrian Nunez, Livers, and Teske. Have to imagine that starting five is going to shift a little bit as this season goes on. Do you agree? Yeah, it's going to be, you know, changing pieces in, changing them out, finding out which lineup is the best for them, gives them enough versatility that can hopefully try to match up with the sadly dominant Michigan State team they're fielding this season. Well, they got to be good at something. It certainly isn't football, so... (laughs) (laughs) We'll we'll let them have that. Maryland looks really good in the Big Ten this year as well. And uh, one more stat on that basketball game that's currently going on as we record this. John Teske has a double-double within 11 minutes of game time. God, I love that guy. I do too, man. I think they're going to play through him and Simpson, play through their elder statesmen. And just with those two, you should win a lot of games. Um, But the younger talent, I think Franz Franz Wagner, Livers, uh, those are the guys that are going to set the ceiling for this team this year. I think Livers is a huge X factor. If he takes that big step that a lot are expecting him to, it's going to be a really surprising good year for Michigan. It very well could be. Uh, we'll get into that more, though. I mean, I'm excited to talk basketball down the down the line, but not during football season. So let's kind of get into Maryland. Final score of 38-7 to in College Park last Saturday. Pretty spot on with what we were predicting. My predict was 41-3. to You had it as 45 to nothing. 38 to seven with the only seven points coming from special teams. Not bad. We're still on a roll. We're still on a roll predicted every game, right? Josh Jackson finished the game nine for 20 under a hundred yards in a pick. That's reheated meatloaf. I've ever seen it before, <laughs> man. I enjoyed listening to that last week and your, your comparison to reheated meatloaf. I'll never think of anything else, but uh, you also called the defensive player of the game. I don't know who the hell the offensive player of the game was for that kind of a weird offensive day, kind of lackadaisical, but Josh Metellus was all over the place that day. And you, you called that great day for Josh. Yeah. On the defense though, can't take all the credit. You can pick almost anybody at times. You get to pick Josh Uche, yeah. pick Metellus, pick somebody else, pick Aiden Hutchinson. Cause he's always good. And then it just, it sticks to the wall. Sometimes offensively, let's just give it to Giles Jackson. Just he ended the game on that kick return to start the game. It was over from that moment on. Yeah, really Maryland's only chance was to catch us kind of how we were playing early in the season. And I mean, a letdown game probably wasn't going to happen, but kind of a lethargic game. I could easily see you're sandwiched in between two rivals, super emotional win against Notre Dame. You got a bye week and then Michigan State. Maryland, you know you're going to beat them before you even get off the plane. So I was not surprised that they looked a little lethargic. Um, but I mean, in no way a letdown game there. And uh, Giles Jackson, you're absolutely right. He settled it before this thing became a conversation. Michigan was Dale and Brennan in Step Brothers sleepwalking through the house. And then D- Dr. Dobek tries to wake them up representing Maryland. And then he just gets beat up. 
And that's what happened to them. I couldn't possibly come up with a better analogy if I racked my brain for the next six years. It is exactly the <laughs> sleepwalking scene from Step Brothers. <laughs> yeah, you, you, they poked the bear and they got beat up. And I, I'm, I'm sorry, you get a 30, bur 30 burger hung on you and that's what you don't poke the bear next time. Sorry, guys. They had, to, they had to get frisky and drive the ball a couple possessions and act like they're into the game, and this is what happened. <laughs> yeah. I, I want to quote Big Lebowski, but since uh, we're no longer allowed to say the F word, but this is what happens, Larry. This is what happens. <laughs> <laughs> this is exactly what happens. Oh, we just quote the edited version. This is what happens when you find a stranger in the Alps. <laughs> <laughs> is that really what it is What if I catch Big Lebowski on FX? Yeah, that's what it says on uh, TNT. That is fantastic. That is absolutely fantastic. But yeah, I mean, uh, credit to Maryland, though. They did come out energized, and they had a game plan, and they wanted to attack Michigan on the ground, which we predicted. I mean, I'm sure the, the coaching staff saw that. Everyone knew that was coming. Uh, and they were able to have some success with a really, really good running back duo in a healthy Anthony McFarland and Javon League. So I'm not going to read too much into the fact that they were able to move it on us in the first quarter. Um, we were playing with a lead. They never came really close to sniffing a lead. Uh, the, the only chance they really had was snuffed out by Mike Dana pressuring uh, Josh Jackson into throwing that pick to Metellus, who just went up and Randy Moss that thing. So they, there was never there was never really any threat. Um, but once this team kind of sensed at the half that they were hanging around a little bit too much, they turned it on, and the second half was pretty dominant. Yeah, and Michigan quickly went to reserves. They weren't waiting around. They just wanted to get out of there healthy, as they did. But this was the Chris Partridge game. Special teams coordinator and safeties coach really put his stamp on this from the Giles Jackson return to the fake punt with Michael Barrett, which was just executed perfectly. Um, then Quinn Nordeen comes in and hits field goals because that's what he does. Devin Gill blocked the punt. I mean – or is it time for us to eat crow on Quinn Nordine yet? Or should we just give it some more time? I mean, we can eat crow just because of the sheer amount of crap that we have laid on the, on the kid. Uh, I mean, there was, there was reason behind our, uh, you know, our skepticism. But good for him. Came in, drilled a 37-yarder. The bigger concern here, though, is that we still haven't settled our kicking contest here. And uh, the season's pretty much wrapping up. We don't necessarily know who our best kicker is. We know that Quinn Nordine's got the better leg. We thought Jake Moody was there for accuracy, but when you miss three in a row, you know, some of those in critical spots, none of them really that critical. They didn't really affect the outcome of any game, but they could down the line. I mean, there's a game that we're, we're really eyeing at the end of November where it could be closed potentially, and every point's going to count. Yeah, this was tough to watch because we thought we felt so confident in Moody. He was the best freshman on the team last season. Came in. It was just great. The streak is over with Quinn Nordine. He finally made a field goal after over a year, since October 13th in 2018. He's finally in the plus. He's in the black now. And I'll happily eat crow on the 50-yard line as he serves it to me, just like Ron Burgundy ate the cat poop. Give it to me, Quinn Nordine, if you're going to start making kicks. Yes, that's very good. Eat the cat poop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if I have to, then I will. I mean, we just need somebody that we can rely on. And I mean, there was a point made on Twitter, I forget who made it, that if Moody is having these accuracy issues, well, so is Nordine. At least Nordine gives you the bigger leg. So maybe you roll with Nordine and see if you can fix his confidence issues. I, I'm certain that with Nordine, it's a confidence issue. 
Do you agree? That's all it has been. He's just had the yips, it feels like, for two and a half years. <laughs> it's a long time to have the yips. Uh, and I don't know what's going on in his personal life or, you know, maybe it's school or maybe it was that stupid freaking haircut. Who knows? But hopefully he's got it all figured out because he's got leg talent like anybody else. I mean, better than most folks in college football. I mean, he's one of the strongest legs in all of college football. Yeah, if Quinn Nordeen starts hitting game winners or anything like that, might as well just go ahead and pencil my kid's name in as Quinn from now on. What a turnaround that would be. Uh, some uh, some other players that are really standing out. Josh Uche is now up to seven and a half sacks. Uh, slow start to the season again, much like last year. He's doing all of his work on the back end and against better opponents. Uh, here's my question to you, though. Will double-digit sacks get him into the first round? I mean, this dude, to me... And you know how how highly NFL teams view edge rushers. This dude, to me, is a is a full fledged edge rusher. He's the total package. Yeah, he is. His name is going to start skyrocketing up boards. It'll all depend on how he tests. But he's developing moves and playing chess now at the defensive end position. And by that, I mean he's showing the power moves, so they have to be aware of it. Then using finesse to get around them, just doing all kinds of different things with his cross body chops, his swim moves. Now, he's been a delight to watch at the end. We saw him pop last season, but thought, you know, maybe it's because nobody's keying on him. Maybe you'll see the Klee Hudson type of drop-off. No, he's come on like gangbusters recently, as has Mike Dana. But Josh Uche is the one that's really flashing, and he, he could be a first-rounder. It wouldn't. Stranger things have happened. If he gets up to 10 and a half sacks, he'll get talked about in the first round. I don't think he'll fall out of the second round. He's got the size. He's about 6'3". Uh, if his speed is what I think it is, and I think he's going to run about a four six, and if he runs a four six at the combine with his C, uh, his size, his strength, uh, his tape, I mean, there's the tape of him running with KJ Hamler. People are going to see that. Uh, they're also going to see in this game something that was called out by um, uh, who did we have as announcers this last? We had Greasy, uh, Greasy, and them yeah. called it out that he took the Maryland left tackle for a ride using strength, just completely bull rushed him on his first pass rush and then use that later on to set up the speed rush. Drew a holding and another sack. So, I mean, super impactful against Maryland. And now, like, as a senior, starting to show an arsenal. Yes, and he's showing everything, and all the pass rushes on this team are flashing, and they're doing it with four pass rushing guys. We touched on this a little bit last week. This is the difference in beating that team at the end of November. If you can get pressure with four pass rushes and be able to drop people in the coverage, that changes everything because since 2016, Michigan's never been able to do that consistently. It's always had to be the blitz. No, no, we got zero pressure last year. I mean, last year was super disappointing with, albeit a, a hurt and injured Rashawn Gary, um, but Devin Bush couldn't get in there. Gary couldn't get in there. Winovich couldn't get in there last year. And I mean, I would say that we're probably not quite as all-around talented this year. We don't have maybe the stars, but we're a little deeper this year. So we're more versatile this year. More versatile this year, I would agree. So we'll see. Uh, speaking of versatility, Kalik Hudson gets a half sack finally. Uh, should have been a full sack. But a guy that you know started slow, and after last season, we were kind of talking about it off air. Just a down season last year, a, a slow start to this year, but has really picked it up. 77 tackles now, three for loss, one and a half sacks. Doesn't jump off the stat sheet like his sophomore year, which very few seasons are, but very steady for us. Yeah, he's been just consistent, just been very solid. You can pencil him in to be there, and he's going to contribute and show up. And he's playing really smart this year. He's not getting caught out of position. I think last year, um, 
coming off the high that was his sophomore season, he was rushing upfield too much, getting caught out of position, getting picked on a little bit for being too aggressive. I think he's learned this season to do what it takes to just be in the right place for his team. And that's allowed his partner, Jordan Glasgow, to be a semifinalist for the Buckkiss Award this season. So very cool. I mean, I, I'm such a Glasgow fan, and that is awesome. Jordan Glasgow is just lunch pail kind of player. Um, apparently his brothers call him Nat. I mean, because they're both gigantic and he looks nothing like them in body composition, but once again, just a tremendous player for us. And yeah, I mean the, the buckets, he's not going to win the buckets award. And I think if no. you asked any Michigan player who our best linebacker was, they would say Cam McGrone followed by Kalik Hudson and then Jordan Glasgow. But the fact that he's on this list is awesome. Yeah, he's got the numbers and defense kind of been set up for him to shine and he has. But to go from not starting or not playing significant minutes your entire tenure at Michigan to your one season of playing, being on the Buckus Award semifinalist list, that's a huge accomplishment. It just speaks to the perseverance of the whole Glasgow family. The whole Glasgow family. I really hope they're out there reproducing right now. I'm talking to you, Graham and Ryan. Start shooting out some babies. <laughs> we need a come on we need some defenders next year load them up we, we do i don't care if they're on the old i don't care where they're playing just give me more glasgows uh another guy i want to talk about before we move on and there's probably a lot of other guys we can touch on but uh, in that game josh metellus you called him out senior uh just an absolute leader that back there in the back end improving as the year goes along uh this is a guy that's going to play on sundays and one of the best safeties that I can remember at Michigan. I mean, I've got to, you got to go back a ways to find a safety more complete than Josh Metellus at Michigan. Yeah, I can't think of one off the top of my head. I like I I was a big Demonte Thomas stand, sure. but he was kind of he was fine. Metellus is better, yeah. and Metellus has come a long way because two years ago we were all over him for being out of position, and his effort at times was always in question. But these last two years, especially this season. He's been a leader back there and just sets the tone. Yeah, he does. And if he's locked in against Ohio State and everyone is locked in, I mean, he's going to be a guy that's going to be a problem. Uh, maybe, would you say Metellus is our biggest ball hawk? 100%. 100% he's the biggest ball hawk. And Brad Hawkins showed he can lay the wood oh, yeah. this week, too, with some big hits. I'm high on Brad Hawkins. Another guy that's just, I mean, he was a receiver like as early as last year. I mean, it was last spring, basically, they switched him. And he's learned the safety position and has gotten better and better. He's coming on and on. So the safety position is in great hands when Metellus graduates this year. And yeah, I mean, I would say I, Jordan Kovacs is one of my favorite players in recent memory. Very complete safety. But I think you have to take Metellus over Kovacs even. Yeah, I think you would. He, yeah, I, I'm tripping over myself because you're right. I would. Jared Wilson was another one that played for. I think he still plays for the Jaguars, doesn't he? Yeah, I'm pretty Jared sure. Jared Wilson's made a career for himself. So, yeah, Metellus is easily the best one I can remember because he's just complete, and I like all of the intangibles he's developed up until his senior year. Now, yeah, he's going to be a player, and uh, he's our number one ball hawk. And number two, I would think it'd be Dax Hill, even though there's a limited sample size. I think that's a guy I see around the ball every time. Yeah, absolutely, and Lavert Hill now at corner is really coming on. Yeah. Like it felt like he was sleepwalking most of the season, but ever since Notre Dame through now, like he is just, he's eliminating players. That's how good he's playing. Yep, absolutely. Uh, the defense is coming on just in general. Very few weak links. If I had to pick one and I don't even really want to do it, it is, what is, what is he, a redshirt freshman, Vincent Gray? 
Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, I mean, I mean, that's your one weak link, and I'm sure teams will try and take advantage of it, but there's just really not weak links. And now Josh Ross coming back, Dwam is healthier again. We get a week to get healthier. Uh, one more thing I want to touch on in that game that I think is overlooked a little bit. Chris Hinton gets in there for the second straight game and Maisie Smith sees game action for the first time all year. We can play those guys, or at least Maisie Smith, for the next three games and not burn their red shirt. I think Hinton, if he plays the next couple games, will burn his. But those are guys that not only are big moving forward, um, but their athleticism is going to be key. I mean, because they're going to free things up on that very, very versatile defensive line. This was intentional. We didn't see them against Middle Tennessee State and other games for a reason. They've been saving them so they can space them out and to play them in these big games in case you need them. And as they get more experienced through the year throughout practice, watching film, learning the nuance of playing at Michigan with Sean Nua and Don Brown, they're going to be better prepared to make an impact late in the season than they are in the beginning of the season. So why waste them in these blowouts when they can play rotational minutes later on? Absolutely, yeah. There's no need to use them early on in the season. I think it was very well done. Now you can bring them in for depth when you need them, although we're starting to actually get healthier, knock on wood. Uh, we're looking pretty healthy going into this bye week, but if, if those guys are ascending and you can put them in there, Chris Hinton actually has has flashed a little bit. Um, I had to go back and really watch the tape and, and just watch the defensive line on some plays where he didn't necessarily make an impact but beat his guy one-on-one I like what I see out of Chris Hinton so very exciting there so I mean now they're kind of getting to the point in the season where they're starting to prep for next year and you saw that with Dylan McCaffrey coming in a little earlier than you would normally see and uh, I kind of want to talk about this before we go to break everyone is ready for you know Dylan McCaffrey I mean they're clamoring for him during the game so next year I'm sure but Dylan McCaffrey still as a passer has a long way to go. And I just, I'm not like proposing this. This is how it is. It is going to be a competition next year. Maybe the most legit and important quarterback competition in the Harbaugh era. I mean, if you think that Joe Milton's just going to give that job to Dylan McCaffrey, you are dead wrong. Yeah, I think it will be a competition. I, from everything we heard prior to this season about how Shea Patterson and McCaffrey are kind of battling a little bit, although we didn't really buy into the hype of that. I think it'll be a battle, but I think McCaffrey has a 70 to 30 advantage on Milton right now. But Joe Milton's a competitor. He wants out there. He wants the ball. He wants the game action. He doesn't want to sit around. He wants to be on the field. And I'm with you. I think it'll be the biggest competition since the year after Dad Rudock left in the 2016 season. I, I put it at less. I put it at 60 40 McCaffrey because he hasn't had that many more reps than Milton. So, I mean, it's just going to come down to who they trust protecting the ball more and, and moving the offense more. And if that's Milton, I mean, it won't be that difficult. Maybe it's Cade McNamara. We lose J.D. Johnson uh, to a medical red shirt. I mean, he's going to be on the coaching staff now. So no freshman coming in as of right now. That could change. But I think it's going to be a legit three-way quarterback competition. And if you told me you favor Milton in that, I'm not going to eat your lunch over that. I think that's a reasonable statement. And I'm the biggest DMC supporter there is. I just think this is going to be a real quarterback competition. Rising tide raises all boats, my friend. I'm for it. Sharpens iron. I love it. All right, we're going to take a quick break when we come back. uh, No game next week, so we're just going to talk about the Big Ten college football landscape in general and where Michigan fits into that. We'll be back right after this. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. 
We all carry around different stressors in life, whether they be big, small, or anywhere in between. And when we keep those bottled up, it can start to affect us in a negative way. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched up with a licensed therapist, and if for some reason that therapist isn't working out for you, you can switch at any time for no additional charge. Get life's challenges off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Block M to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Block M. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right. Welcome back to Out of the Blue. It is an improvement week, so we have no team to preview this week. So we're just going to talk whatever sort of nonsense we want. But it won't be nonsense. Let's talk about the Big Ten, my friend. Uh, kind of the scope of the landscape, uh, where we're at now in the Big Ten and college football abroad. Anything you want to touch on? Let's talk about Purdue over Nebraska for a second. Yeah, let's. I like that. <laughs> Nebraska was picked to win the Big Ten West. And I don't – is this the last year of the Scott Frost hype train? Is it? Has it officially been derailed for good? It, for God's sakes, better be. We were very vocal early on in the season in one of our first pods, off-season pods, when those rankings came out, that a four-win team should never be ranked. And they were. And once again, we were correct, as we are 66.6% of the time. Scott Frost is, I mean, he's a good coach, but he's in way over his head, and he's not the savior. Now, God help him if his, his name were Jim Harbaugh, because the headlines, it'd be all over Sports Illustrated. It'd be on the, the cover of Home and Garden. I mean, they'd be retweeting this on, on the Disney Twitter account. But he's not. He's at Nebraska, which people forget is a state, and they forget that he's now one and four against Purdue, Minnesota, and Indiana. <laughs> exactly right. We watched him come play Michigan last season and just get embarrassed. It was thirty-nine to nothing at half. It was the worst half in the history of Nebraska football, which began like when the Magna Carta was signed. Like this, <laughs> a long time ago. And you're right. If this were Jim Harbaugh. The state would be on fire. He'd probably be fired like Willie Taggart just was. Yes, he absolutely would be. But no one seems to talk about Scott Frost because they're held to a different standard for whatever reason, or it's just because Michigan is higher profile. But Scott Frost, the Scott Frost era is off to a terrible, terrible start. Nebraska fired Frank Solich after a 10-3 and season in 2003. And if you want to rank the top 10 wins in Scott Frost's uh, tenure, you won't be able to after two seasons because he won't have 10 wins in two seasons. That's a big fat wolf. They're four and five right now. And their last three games are Wisconsin, Maryland, and Iowa. 
I don't know if they can win any of those. And if they win, maybe beat Maryland, nine wins in two years, you fired Bo Pelini because he couldn't win more or less than nine games. And I get it. You need to bring in your players and change the culture, all that. And I do think eventually Nebraska will get it figured out. But I just do not understand the disparity in the amount of crap that Harbaugh gets for losing to Wisconsin on the road and Penn State on the road, whereas Nebraska loses to like Purdue, Minnesota, Indiana, and like nothing, crickets. It makes no sense. I don't understand the patience that's being allowed in this. This team was predicted to be in the top 25. They were predicted to be in the Big Ten Championship, and they may not have more than four wins again. I saw a poll talking about most disappointing teams. People are like, Michigan's been pretty disappointing this season. It's like, are you kidding me? What about teams like Texas A&M? What yeah. about Nebraska? Come on. It gets a little silly in Nebraska's case in point. It does. And I kind of tweeted about this and I wanted to hear your opinion on this. Maybe the reason why Michigan is hated so much went back and watched the Notre Dame game like four times in a row. The throwing of the towels on the field, the you suck bitch chant on national television when everyone's watching. Do our students maybe give us kind of a bad look? And like, I doubt there's any students listening, but if you are calling you out, what do you think? They definitely play a factor in it. Some of that behavior is just inexcusable and you never want to see it. Uh, the chant is just silly and ridiculous. Like, there's no need to do that. I mean, you can say that you suck, but just adding the profanity at the end is gratuitous at best. It's just, it sounds trashy and tacky. You don't see LSU fans doing that. So you can be passionate without being like that. Yeah, and you might say, well, you guys are just, you know, you're sticks in the mud. But I once did cocaine at five in the morning with a member of the Denver Nuggets. And that was like six weeks ago. So I am <laughs> not stick in the mug. Like, I know how to have a good time. But the fact of the matter is, y'all are just kind of embarrassing the university. And we're, we're held to higher standards. And the there's no need, like, everyone's going to see that. And if you're going to throw towels at the refs for making a bad call, I'm not a fan of that, but all right, whatever. But then you're chucking stuff at Nico Collins when he catches a touchdown pass. That's just being a dumb fan. And you pride yourselves in being really intelligent. You're all a bunch of nerds. All right, well, <laughs> then throw stuff at the opposing team, not our team, you idiots. Yeah, that it was it was silly. It's uncalled for. Uh, just simple message. Do better. Do better. Do better. We're Michigan. Uh, I want to talk about the landscape of uh, college football overall, uh, but I do want to touch on one more thing about Scott Frost before we move on. So you got to assume next year, they're going to give him next year. They might even give him the year after that. But next year is going to be huge for Scott Frost. And listen to this schedule in the back end last year. They go at Ohio State on Halloween. Next week, they're Penn State at home. Then they're at Kinnick for Iowa Hawkeyes at Wisconsin in Camp Randall. And then they finish the season with Minnesota at home. I mean, I, that is five losses probably right there. I are those mean, consecutive I, games? Those are consecutive games. Oh my goodness. That's, that's brutal. That's a gauntlet. I just pulled it up. There's no bye weeks in there There's either. That's no just my week. At Ohio State, home for Penn State, at Iowa, at Wisconsin, home for P.J. Fleck. G g what? Yeah, <laughs> that's what I'm saying. So you can probably predict five losses for them next year. I mean, maybe they get Minnesota. They might be able – I mean, I would say they could maybe get Iowa, but it's at Kinnick. Nobody wants to be there. 
No, especially in middle of November. We found out the hard way in 2016 what that's like. Yeah. So that, I mean, it's, it's a rough start for Scott Frost and I don't predict it getting any better. Uh, speaking of coaches that had a rough start, Florida state has fired Willie Taggart after 18 months of employment. Uh, what are your thoughts on that tenure that he had there? Was that long enough to possibly get an idea of what his program is going to look like? It seemed a little quick on the trigger a year and a half for almost anybody seems way too quick, but they were upset with the product they saw in the field. I wonder if he was losing the locker room, some things internally going on. We don't know about they raised all that money for his buyout and private donations from alumni. So they really do not like Willie Taggart in the state of Florida. God, can you, if you were a multi multi-millionaire, and you were just watching Michigan just flounder. Are you giving a million dollars? Like, I mean, who are these people and what are they giving? Are you going to be like, you know what? I'll give a million dollars to see a new coach come in here. Like, <laughs> I, I would never do that. I don't know. If I watch Rich Rod get blown out by Mississippi State, I might pull out something from the checking account. That's true. I know how I get when I'm drinking a little bit. So it would definitely happen at like 1130 on a Saturday night after I was like half a bottle of Jim Bean deep. Be like, I've had enough. You're like, Robert, million. you're like Robert California accidentally closing the Buffalo branch. Yeah. <laughs> Wouldn't even remember doing it. Yeah. It's like, Jared, we, we, we donated money last night to get rid of the head coach. Again? Oh, no. <laughs> like the Jordan Belfort of Big Ten donors. <laughs> That's exactly what we'd be like. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But I think it was kind of a short tenure as well. But granted, I mean, you want to get out ahead of it. And one thing that I think is kind of fueling that is there's going to be some really good coaches that are available this year. One of them just went off the table in PJ Fleck, who just re-upped with Minnesota, uh, who I thought was going to be a candidate for USC, Florida State. I mean, there might be some other shakeups in there as well, depending on who moves. But looks like PJ Fleck staying put, Florida State now is up for grabs. It seems like Matt Rule from Baylor is going to be the favorite for this job right now. Bob Stoops said he's not interested. So it looks like it's going to be rule, but PJ Fleck re-upping at Minnesota, that's some commitment. And he's he's building something special there. They have a tough game this week and that everybody shouldn't miss and they take on Penn State. I believe that's at Minnesota, right? It is at Minnesota. Yeah, absolutely. And I believe a night game. So you'll be able to watch Bama LSU in the afternoon and then tune right into Minnesota Penn State. I love Saturdays. God, Saturdays are great. God, I can't wait. Um <laughs> Yeah, I would say that the the top target for FSU will probably be Matt Rule. I think a more realistic target is Mark Stoops from Kentucky. I think I could see that. He was the defensive coordinator there before he went over to Kentucky. That makes a lot of sense to me. They're going to want somebody with ties to the region. P.J. Fleck doesn't even really have ties to that region. I think he was maybe a Tampa Bay assistant for one year, so minimal minimal ties if best. Uh, but P.J. Fleck, why would you leave Minnesota? You were able to run it up to 8-0 just because of the weakness of that conference. And, I mean, your your out-of-conference scheduling is weak. I mean, God, I wish we were in that division. It'd be the best to be in the Big Ten West. You get to avoid uh, Ohio State some. You get to avoid Penn State some. You get Wisconsin every year. You could live with that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. We switch over to that and we keep our crossover game with Ohio State. You can't get rid of that, obviously. So that remains. 
Um, and then you go every other year with Michigan State because they're trash. Who cares? God, I would love to be over there. I mean, it would even things out, too, with Penn State's emergence. So, And everyone thought Nebraska was going to even things out. That's that's certainly not the case. Yeah, it's they need to be realigned maybe just like the Big 12 is where you basically play everybody. But you know, obviously we can't do that in a season, but you play most of the teams and then top two teams go to the playoff, not just divisions on each side, the winner of each go. Yeah. What would be one move that you think would even it out? Me, I probably would vote Penn State moves over to the West. It makes sense. I think that's your move. You put Penn State over there and you bring like – Minnesota. You could bring – I mean you could bring a, a decent team over. You don't want to bring over somebody that's trash like Illinois. Yeah, at least that Illinois is already on the East though. Oh, Illinois on our side? I never yeah. know because they're useless. <laughs> but, but I'm pulling for them. I'm pulling for Brandon Peters against Sparty, baby. You better believe it. Oh, you mean Illinois, not Indiana? Yeah, I said Illinois. You said Indiana. It's all good. No, uh, no I didn't. You you did, sir. The uh, No, I think that's a good move. Bring Minnesota over, and that way you get the, the jug rivalry every year as well for Michigan-Minnesota, which would be a lot of fun. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, you also get that rivalry game. That would make sense to me. Um, Rutgers also has an open coaching position. Sounds like Greg Schiano is pretty much a done deal there. Uh, their greatest success came against Schiano. Does that give you any sort of pause or worry or concern whatsoever? No. <laughs> <laughs> well said, sir. I have nothing to add to that. No, it's, it, it, I mean, you want to talk about a rebuild job? I'd have rather gone to Baylor after the absolute dumpster fire there than have to go to Rutgers. I mean, it's going to take four years before you can even be competitive. I'd rather I'd rather rebuild the Darfur region than rebuild Rutgers. <laughs> oh, it's a smaller job. It's a smaller task. There's not as much pressure. You know, you don't have to play Michigan and Ohio State every year. Yeah, no, I'm with you, man. Um, yeah, that's about all I wanted to touch on the Big Ten, but let's kind of talk about college football at large. Uh, tomorrow should be the first. I mean, we're recording this here on tonight. Tuesday night. So tonight we should see the first BCS rankings, yeah? Uh, not BCS, sir. That ended. But college football playoff rankings, yes. Whatever. You know what I mean. I can't keep track of it. We should change it again and go to eight. But, yeah, the college football playoff rankings should be out tonight. Uh, if we're going off what we saw last week, if we were to have an eight-team playoff, somebody posted this on Twitter right now, and I think it's the most beautiful thing ever. This year is a great, great example of why we should have eight teams. Uh, do you want to run us through what an eight-team playoff would look like if we were to run it right now? I got you. Eight-team playoff, according to the AP poll right now, would be number one seed LSU against Utah at, in Baton Rouge, number two Alabama versus number seven Oregon in Tuscaloosa, Number three, Ohio State versus number six, Georgia and Columbus. And number four, Clemson at home against Penn State. Feed it to me with a spoon. Every one of those games sounds interesting to me. I think the only one that might get out of hand might be Bama, Oregon. But every other one of those, I would love to see. I think you've got some upsets in there, too. Yeah, I think every game is competitive. I love the home field advantage for it as well. And then the next round, you know, you'd have the Peach Bowl and other like locations such as that. So no, this would be fantastic, but wishful thinking, my friend. What do you think the rankings are going to look like tonight for the top four? Uh, top four, I think LSU is going to take number one. Uh, I think just because of who they've beaten, they've had a tougher schedule. Ohio State hasn't played anybody, but they've looked great. So I'll go LSU one. 
I will go Ohio State 2 because they've played a tougher schedule than Alabama and have looked just as good doing it. I will go Alabama at 3. They've looked extremely competent. And I will go Clemson at 4. They've handled all comers but have played a schedule worse than Minnesota's. So it's hard for me to get too excited about it. They do look good. After that, first one out, you got to go undefeated Penn State at 5. Uh, at number six, one loss Georgia makes a lot of sense. Uh, pretty much how they had it lined up right now. Uh, but I might, I'm, I don't know. And then after that, it gets a little interesting. What about you? I'm the exact same. Uh, we flip two and three from the AP poll, but everything else is pretty much chalk. And that's how it should be for right now. LSU is clearly has the best wins. No one can even touch their schedule and what they've done this season. Ohio State's been a dominant force with a point differential rivaling some of the greatest teams in college football. Alabama's flawless, so is Clemson, and Penn State right after him. Like, that's how it should be. And I, I think this would be an easy decision. It would shock me if it, if it was anything different than that. Are you personally a fan of going to the 18 playoff? Of course I am. I would love the 18 playoff, but I would like it a little – I would like a little difference. And I think – let me see how it lines up. I would like every Power 5 conference winner to automatically get in and then you have uh, maybe a G5 team in, and then two Power 5 at largest. Something like that to spice it up. I think eight's the right number as well, and I think eventually we'll go there. And a year like this could really help to propel it. Like, what if a team like Baylor has one loss, and it's to one loss Oklahoma? Like, how are you going to say that that one loss is worse than, you know, the one loss that that Alabama or LSU took? You just don't know. So I'm a, a big fan of eight. But someone posted on Twitter earlier what a 16-team playoff would look like. You want to talk about a lot of fun. Uh, I mean, you willing to go through this? I'll, I'll make it quick. You go, you go ahead, my friend. Let's do it. Number one, LSU against Wisconsin at LSU. Number two, Bama against number 15, Notre Dame in Alabama. Uh, number three, Ohio State against number 14, Michigan in Columbus, which is certainly <laughs> the most interesting matchup on here. Um, number four, Clemson, Minnesota. I would love to watch that Penn state, Auburn. I'd watch the hell out of that Georgia Baylor. Yep. Sign me up. Uh, Florida, Oregon, uh, Oklahoma, Utah. I mean, every single one of those games sounds competitive and interesting. I mean, there's going to be some blowouts. Alabama's blowing out this year's Notre Dame team. Uh, LSU is probably blowing out Wisconsin. I mean, and let's not even get into Michigan, Ohio State. We've got time for that later on. But, I mean, theoretically, this is the first year you might be able to argue for a bigger playoff, an expanded playoff. Maybe not 16 teams, but definitely eight. Yeah, 16 would definitely get silly because if it's stuck like that for most years, it's just going to be beatings and just way, way too big of a sample size. You can't do that with football. But eight, it's definitely trending towards eight and – Unless chaos happens, like it could be chaotic by chalk with teams with no losses and teams with one loss. It gets real murky comparing losses. Like, we only lost by this many. We only lost by this many. And it's like, it kind of gets into a fuss. And once you get to eight, there's still going to be, you know, the muddy waters of the teams on the bubble. But I think there's they're more decipherable at that stage as compared to a four and five on the, in the rankings. I agree because it could very well come down to comparing Georgia and Oklahoma who each have one loss. And how the hell do you compare South Carolina to Kansas state 
totally different schedules, completely different conferences. They play a different style of football. I mean, nowhere near the same opponents. It gets very murky. And uh, so I wouldn't want to go to 16 either, but I think expanding it to eight at least includes the teams that could potentially be, you know, competitors. I mean, because if Michigan wins out, we're going to be in the top eight this year. Would you agree? Oh, wins out. Yeah, I think so. I would I would say Michigan ends up in the top eight if we went out. That's wins over to like what will end up being the number two or three team in the country. Uh, wins against a ranked Indiana team, a ranked Notre Dame team, uh, ranked Iowa team. I mean, we'd have one of the best resumes in the country and would get into that eight-team playoff. And I think it's great because teams come on in the second half of the season. We've come on in the second half of the season. So you never really know who the best team at the end of the season is until you see them play. So I'm, I'm, in, I'm in favor. I, w- I would love it, man. And you look back at pri- prior Michigan teams, like the 2016 team would have been the sixth seed getting in playing Clemson. So I think eight teams is the way to go in the end, but eight, eight teams also has to be the end. We can't just have a whole long season of one loss elimination football until it gets too silly. So eight, nope. eight teams is eight teams is right. You have the long gap with bowl season anyway. So what's one more week? I agree. Eight teams is right. And imagine if we even had the four team playoff in 2006, when number one, Michigan or number two, Michigan lost to number one, Ohio state. So food for thought, food for thought, but uh, you know, a problem for, individuals of a higher pay grade than you and I to handle. But uh, that's going to do it for us on Out of the Blue tonight. Uh, We have the bye week coming up, but next week we'll come back. We'll break down Michigan State. We'll get a little bit more in detail into what we've seen this season and start to maybe look ahead to basketball and even the following football season. I guess that's just where we're at in life. Andy, anything else from you, my friend? It is improvement week, my friends. So to the student section, be better. And to everybody, let's all improve a little this week. Let's all improve a little this week. I can't believe I have to tell you this since you were able to get into Michigan, but don't throw towels at your own players as part of the celebration when you just threw towels at the refs, you know, to discourage them. It doesn't really make a lot of sense. All right. So make sure that you follow us uh, on Maze Brew on Twitter at Maze Brew. Uh, follow Andy and I on Twitter at Andy underscore Bailey one at oblue 87 like, share, subscribe, leave a review for all your shows and content, wherever you get your podcast by searching maize and brew podcasts on Apple, Google, Spotify, and more. If you're hearing this, the end of the show, and you come meet us at the Ohio state game and give us our clothes off, I will buy you a shot. I'm putting that out there right now. I will buy a shot for anyone that can come up to us during the Ohio State game. I'll keep putting this out there and recite to me the close-off that we give every week. We'll be back tomorrow with a brand new episode of Closing Time, hosted by Anthony Broom. I'm Jared. That's Andy. This is Out of the Blue, reminding you that wherever you go, 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 go.